This month on the Interplanetary Podcast. Uh, a guy who's been in space for 340 days, astronaut Scott Kelly. The adventures of Lisa Pathfinder. ExoMars. 14th of March, the first launch. We should speak about Tim Peake, definitely. It's got to be Sir Tim Peake soon. The Virgin Galactic. VSS Unity. Planetary Podcast, the exploration of space for the benefit of all mankind. Your hosts here in London, Matthew Russell and Jamie Franklin. So, uh, welcome to the first, inter- first Interplanetary Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Russell. And, and I'm Jamie Franklin. And here's Jamie Franklin. It's not rocket science. Not... not. Now, will we be putting the kids off for that lame joke? Or do you think maybe, maybe they think we're cool? Or maybe people can write in and tell us what they think our strap line should be. Yeah, we need a, we need a tag line. What do you think? What are the thoughts? Matt, if people want to contact you, what's the email address? It's matt at interplanetary.org.uk. Rolls off the tongue. Let's have it again. It's matt at interplanetary.org.uk. .org.uk So if you're uh, interested in space, more importantly, space travel, um, please get in touch. Let us know anything you want us to chat about or research. Matt, we should start off by talking about uh, a guy who's been in space for 340 days, uh, astronaut Scott Kelly. Yes, and his brother's been into space about f- on four separate occasions. Yeah. So... Um, only a few days back and they've noticed that he's two inches taller than his brother Mark so the spine in space obviously not having gravity on it uh, stretches out whilst the bone mass is obviously reducing he is getting taller he did get two inches taller so that's yeah two inches taller and apparently 8.6 milliseconds younger but you can do this at home you see so you can you can pretend you've been to the International Space Station yes by going to sleep, yeah. so measure yourself just before you go to bed, uh-huh. and measure yourself when you get up in the morning. Yeah. And you'll be not quite an inch taller, but you'll be significantly taller in the morning because of the same effect. Yes. That, is, is that a euphemism? Or <laughs> to, that does sound like a weird um, band name, actually, doesn't it? What, I'm an inch taller in T- the morning? Taller after sleep. Sort of like a, a punk, punk band name. But yeah, that is... That is quite amazing. I mean, obviously, the body goes through quite a lot. It's quite a harsh... In fact, I watched a video with Scott today um, that they took last month, and he does describe it as a a very harsh environment because, obviously, he can't have running water. And, you know, so they can't shower. He he said that he felt like he was at one sort of year-long festival because he felt like he was camping. But uh, he said the thing that got him the most out of all of it was just human connection with the people who are important to him, mm-hmm. which is quite nice to know, isn't it, really? Well, yeah. He's just a human so, who missed, missed his family. <laughs> yeah, and I would imagine that, that um, this, is, uh, uh, and this is actually the kind of crux of what this is all about, is, is how people are going to cope with doing a almost the sort of half-year, year-long journey that is to just get to Mars. Yeah. And then when you get to Mars, 
when you land, you're going to be in a, like a total mess. Like mm. physically, you're going to suddenly be on a planet that has gravity. Yeah. And you're a total mess. And yet somehow you've got to start digging and building yourself a colony. So Absolutely. It, it kind of does make you realise just how much work there is to do to kind of get anywhere near that goal of having humans land on Mars. Uh, looked up about uh, Valery uh, Polyakov, the man who spent the longest time in space, 437 days. And when he got back uh, to Russia, his first words were, we can fly to Mars. But if it's two and a half years there well, and back, <laughs> then no one really knows. He is effect. suggesting that he can get to Mars, but when you get there, you're kind of doomed mm. in, that, in that sense. I mean... The, the problem is of, the, the, the lack of gravity, even with how many kind of elastic bands you attach to yourself and, and do all the exercises, that lack of gravity is obviously devastating to your physiology. Mm. So it, you, you can't, whatever happens, they're going to have to do something about that. You can't just keep going, oh, yeah, it'll be okay. Yeah. So all these astronauts... It would seem that the, the, the film The Martian actually had the, 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 the Mars ship that mm. went to Mars had the spinning section that allowed them to have some gravity. Yeah. I and mean, even if it's just some gravity is better than nothing. Yeah. So, you know, even if it's at 50%, that's got to be better than having microgravity or, or no gravity at all. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so you'd think that that has to be something that has to be sorted out. Otherwise, you're going to have astronauts arriving at Mars completely shattered as, as, as human, not being able to function, basically. And, and it's when you need them to function at their best. When yeah, you, right. You see, you see the astronauts when they're being dragged out of the Soyuz mm. when it lands. Yeah, they're a mess. And, and, and they're a mess. They yeah. can barely walk and, and they're, they're, you know, they're, they're a physical mess. Mm. Now you're expecting them to land on Mars mm. and be operational straight away and of course that's not going to happen is it no. until they sort out what is the recovery time for an astronaut landing where they could just back to normal uh, but the, i mean scott's I, I been back imagine for a week or so yeah, is he walking it, around normally now i'd imagine it's not i imagine he's not walking around normally no because uh, they're testing on him so i assume they're, they're, that he's in yeah the he's test, at nasa yeah, he's, at he's NASA, still living he's, there exactly and, and obviously this being two inches taller doesn't mm. last very long at all no he'll and two inches is quite a lot. I mean, it's normally about an inch that they've sort of, they, they grow. What, but like I, but what I'd give, Matt, as a, as a man of five foot eight, <laughs> what I would give for an extra two. Well, just basically, just, 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 marry, just marry yourself. Just measure yourself. Could do both. Well, you couldn't. Yeah. It's legal <laughs> in some states. <laughs> just measure yourself in the morning and forget about it. And That's then, what I'm saying. Just, just sleep more. Or get those gravity boots where you hang upside down. Matt, gravity waves. Gravity. Let's talk about gravity waves. Now, for, for people like me, who may not know that much about space and time, mm -hmm. can you please explain, as you did earlier, what gravity waves so, are? So, gravity waves. Here's, here's, here's a rough guide to, to gravity waves. Einstein suggested that there wasn't such a thing as space and time, it was actually a combined thing of space-time. And space-time... Could you just say that once more? Space-time. I like that. Space-time. Nice. So it's not space-time, it's space-time. 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 Uh-oh. No. 
Anyway. <laughs> anyway, so... Uh, Bethan? <laughs> um, that was Cartman. Re- the, the, the way that, that, um, that people like to show this space-time, and this is, of course, two-dimensional, not three-dimensional, hmm. but two-dimensional, if you imagine a sheet of rubber stretched out and the earth, for example, is a heavy ball that's on that rubber sheet. And, of course, it creates a well that then other objects rolling along that sheet either fall into or sort of roll around. And, of course, mm. you can, you know, physics teachers love to have this thing where they put a marble into orbit around a bowling ball, for example, on a rubber sheet, which is a very good example of, of Einstein's general relativity. And um, so you've got this rubber sheet. Now, Einstein then sort of went a little bit further and he sort of said, well, you've got this, this rubber sheet... If you've got very, very large objects um, moving around in orbit with each other, for example, so two black holes rushing around in orbit Mm. as they sort of fall towards each other, um, it should be enough to wobble the sheet. And this Mm. wobbling sheet would then, the wobble would sort of propagate throughout the entire universe. There wouldn't wouldn't be anything that would stop that wobble. Mm. Nothing would really get in its way. And then, obviously, this wobble would eventually find its way across the universe and hit Earth, and it would wobble the sheet that Earth is on, and we'd be able to measure that wobble. Although Einstein himself, I believe, said that the effect would be so small, it would be unlikely that we'd ever be able to measure it. So it wouldn't be like a giant kind of earthquake that we'd all notice. So luckily, it's not a giant earthquake that we can all notice. So they built, the, obviously, the most sensitive machine ever made, and that's what's picked up gravity waves, and that's why it's in the news. Is that What I'm... is that machine, Matt? <laughs> that machine is LIGO, which, which is an Earth-based uh, observatory that fires lasers on a very long arms. So that it, it measures one direction and measures another direction, and that's the gravity wave... Not the band? No, no, no. Right. Because... That's been, you haven't been able to do that since Zane left, which, is, which, which really upset some of the scientists yeah. because they were... I can now measure it's four and not five. Yes, exactly, yeah. yeah. And um, so you can measure, you can, using this laser, you can measure this particular effect. Now, in, in, LIGO is obviously an Earth-bound experiment, but why it's of interest to the Interplanetary podcast is because uh, the European Space Agency has launched a, at the end of last year, launched a satellite mm. called LISA Pathfinder. Yes. You know, the reason why it's Pathfinder is because it's off as a kind of test experiment for a space-bound uh, gravity wave detecting device. It does sound a little bit like a Jilly Cooper novel. Doesn't it? What Lisa? The Adventures Path- of Lisa, Lisa Pathfinder. Pathfinder. Hmm? You can imagine her now in a sort of riding boots. And... <laughs> oh, should we stop there? I'm sorry, listeners. Um, but yeah, so Lisa Pathfinder. So it's interesting. So, so yeah, so Lisa Pathfinder. So well, potentially we can we can measure space like we never have before. So yes. So, so up till now we're using light. Light is obviously gets blocked by things like dust and lots of other light. So, for example, we can't see the centre of our own galaxy because mm. there's so much stuff yeah. in the way, including other stars, 
loads of dust, etc. etc. So we can't actually see the black hole at the centre, but we can infer that it's there from the orbits of stars that are that orbit this massive black hole at the centre of the galaxy. However, maybe we can have a clearer picture of black holes around the universe by using gravity waves. It's and gives... much larger than we've ever measured before. Yeah, well, it doesn't even, not necessarily that the size of them, it's just the fact that it's another way of seeing into the darkness that doesn't rely on light. And it's the, so it's, it's the first time we've been able to use something other than light to view the universe. So the map of the universe is suddenly pretty much opened up. I mean, it, it, can, it could be infinite, infinite couldn't it? You, no, because it's because 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 gravity waves only travel at the speed of light. Now that's uh -huh. something I don't understand why. But right. gravity waves only travel at the speed of light, and because the universe is expanding faster and ever faster because of dark energy, um, we might not ever be able to see the rest of the universe because it's expanding away from us faster than the gravity waves are travelling towards us. Hmm. So, you know, we actually live in a quite fortunate time in the universe where we can see anything. Because presumably at some point, everything will, will be going away from us faster than the speed of light and we won't be able to see it. Mm. Which is quite a depressing universe. It's quite sad, isn't it? Yeah. Come back. So, yeah, gravity... But gravity waves do give us a chance to be able to see further back in time because there's a point where photons came into existence and of course it's only at that point can you see back to before back, that back to the future yeah before that you couldn't you can't use light mm. to to see beyond that point but perhaps we can use gravity waves perhaps we can use gravity waves to see back almost to the beginning of the big bang maybe even to the big bang itself wow yeah which is pretty phenomenal and Einstein was right. God bless so, him. So, yes, yeah, so Einstein was right, even though he didn't think we'd ever be able to measure it. He was not, wasn't right about how sensitive our equipment could become. And all the people saying that we're wasting our time, we'll never find it. I mean, the people down at LIGO must be loving it. Yeah, absolutely. But Lisa Pathfinder has got, is, is essentially a, a piece of equipment that actually is probably sensitive enough as well to be able to detect gravity waves. So obviously we knew that gravity waves, the scientific community kind of suspected gravity waves was true mm. to the point that, they were, that they'd stuck another instrument up in space quite recently to kind yeah. of test a larger instrument that's going, to, that's going to come later in something like 2034, yeah. the ELISA which will be a larger instrument that will be able to measure gravity waves at a much more sensitive level. But uh, LISA itself can measure the relative, the relative position of two cubes that are 40 centimetres apart. Mm. And it can measure them to an accuracy of less than 0.01 nanometres. Now, I'm no scientist, but that's not much, is it? No, it's a very small amount. But it might not actually be sensitive enough to detect gravitational waves. So it would be interesting to see if LISA Pathfinder does itself also detect gravitational waves. I've bloody got faith in her, Matt. Well, I imagine how it must be actually a little bit annoying 
if you were the if you're on the Lisa Pathfinder team and you've just been beaten by LIGO to, to measure, what's one of the most important breakthroughs of <laughs> yes. all time? Yes, yeah, and you think, oh, if, they, if they'd just not done it, oh. we might we might have picked it up and we could have gone, yes, not only are we proving this technology, but we're also proving gravitational waves at the same time. Yeah, yeah, that is quite sad. But, yes, but hey, I'm sure they'd be happy for them too. Mm-hmm. Um, lovely quote here from uh, the LIGO laboratory director, uh, Mr. David Rietzer, hope I pronounced that right, in Caltech, saying, A new sensory view of the universe, this will be, like a deaf person hearing sound for the first time. How lovely. Hmm. It's, it's almost, uh, uh, in some ways, it's not like a deaf person hearing sound for the first time. Pardon? It's... T- <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like um, it's like growing a, a sort of new organ. I don't like where this uh, yeah. is going. <laughs> it's like growing a new organ, which I think is what they meant uh, when Captain Kirk uh, had the final frontier. Oh God! But it's <laughs> and there's me thinking you were going to talk oh, about, about a, growing an, an, an exotic video that you a VHS that you might have under your bed. Yes, I was. Well, I was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you rudely interrupted. But you rudely. No, the. Um, wow. No, but it's more like it's more like having a whole new organ that picks up. For example, sharks can can detect the magnetic field of the Earth, right? Mm. So they've got this. They're able to see the Earth differently to us. It's a bit like that. Gravitational waves have suddenly allowed us to see the universe with a whole new sense. So. Also in the news, um, we have uh, the Virgin Galactic unveiling their new spaceship. The VSS Unity. Correct. Named by the wonderful Professor Stephen Hawking. Oh, right. Did he smash a bottle of booze on the side of it? Funnily enough, it wasn't booze. It was actually uh, Richard, I believe, Richard Branson's daughter... Uh, who has just had a baby, so they smashed a bottle of milk over it. They sm- What, her breast milk or just a normal cow's I, milk? I'm 90% sure it was formula. A uh, formula, OK. Yeah, thank Excellent. goodness. OK. Yeah. And um, so this was 16 months after, of course, their tragic fatal yes. accident. Now, one of the designs that they've obviously changed is the locking me- mechanism. Yeah that stops the uh, feathering system yes. from being unlocked at the wrong time. Right. It, it seems, doesn't I mean, it just seems incredible that there was that... Is that what the problem was before? Yeah, so apparently the pilots just made a, an error and actually, almost like a handbrake, he yeah. left the handbrake off and the whole... And basically, the the, the the aircraft fell apart. Right. It wasn't it was it was it wasn't designed for that particular mode of flight. Yeah. So so they've uh, repaired that, and, and uh, so this is the first spaceship that uh, Virgin have built in house. The last one, of course, was made by a company called Scaled Composites. Yes. So this one's been made in house. And, um, yeah, and that's, of course, uh, the whole design team must have had a, an absolutely horrific time when they were post the crash. Because of course. Because, of course, there would have been quite a lot of 
investigation against them. And of yeah. Course, obviously, yeah. losing a member of the team in a horrific Awful. accident is a, is a terrible thing. So they're being very cagey about their timeline, about when this thing's going to be ready. Yeah. Because they're gonna, they've got quite a few testing phases. One, testing it on the ground, testing it te in tethered flight. Yes. Controlled glide, and then finally the powered flight. Nice. Which they think is going to take a couple of years. So that's a couple of years of testing of the new spaceship. And do you know how many how many people do you think have subscribed to to fly in? I don't know how many people have actually subscribed. Um, Do you know any celebrities? Yes, uh, I know that uh, Brangelina, Brangelina have signed up, well, and yes. of, of course um, Richard Branson's uh, offered the first place not only to his family but to Professor Stephen Hawking. He's right. going up. Um, There's another famous couple that I noticed uh, uh, are supposed to be going oh, yeah. up, and that's Katie Brand, uh, Katie Perry, and Russell Brand. Well, they haven't been together for a while, have they? Yeah, exactly. So I wonder if they've still got like seats next. I wonder Probably if they, I wonder if they they'll can just swap seats. Swap seats with, with someone else. With Hawking. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, but no, but he's probably got a. Presumably, he's got a special a special seat. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I, did I tell you, Matt? I actually went to Spaceport America a few years ago. You did, and I well in I, southern you, New Mexico. You made I, me jealous by. I don't like to talk I, I about think it. WhatsApping me the pictures of yourself there. <laughs> yeah. When Thanks. I say, did, did I ever tell you? I knew exactly that I told you many, more than once. <laughs> oh no, you forgot, Jamie. Yeah. yeah well, you forgot to tell me about that ridiculous experience. I like to say these things, you yeah, know. Thanks. Um, but it was amazing, and great to see the White Knight. I'll tell you how many people have. Subscribed, signed up to fly with Virgin Atlantic. Yeah. It's seven hundred. Seven hundred. And do we know? Is it still two hundred thousand dollars? Ooh, not sure the no. exact fee. That's definitely uh, what it was. I think that sounds a little bit cheap. Two hundred thousand dollars. All right, Trump. Yeah, no, that sounds a little bit cheap. <laughs> that sounds a little bit cheap. Yeah. Um, it's probably gone up, of course. You reckon? Yeah. yeah. I was hoping that. In my lifetime, I will be able to afford it. I think I still think I will. Well, hopefully, I think what it might go down when I when I think I'm seventy six. I think I worked out I'll probably be able to sell my house and go. Very cool thing coming up, and hopefully, by the time we actually release this podcast, it will yes. have happened. But uh, Exo Mars, fourteenth of March, the first launch. Exactly, the first launch of the sort of first half of Exo Mars, which is the the Trace Gas Orbiter, the that's, TGO. That's the one. Basically, that will orbit Mars. Yeah. And uh, it will look for sort of signs of life. Now, of course, this is called ExoMars. Mm -hmm. Exo, referring to exobiology. Uh -huh. So it's looking for life beyond Earth. Ooh. So, uh, yes, this could be a very, very exciting... Is there life on Mars? Well, we'll finally have an answer. Or yes. we could have an answer very, very shortly about whether there is life on Mars. So, but, when mm -hmm. we say shortly, the second launch being in 2018 uh, will be the rover and the drill that will obviously... Excavate. Excavate. <laughs> to dig down. It was on the tip of me. Yeah, I mean, it's quite a, it's quite a weird thing, isn't it? How, however sophisticated the Curiosity rover was, that it mm. wasn't ever going to sort of drill down 
deep enough to no. really give a sort of definitive answer of yeah. whether there was life on Mars. Yes. I mean, because I suppose it's... Do you know what? I heard a very interesting fact about... Um, Dupre. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, uh, they recently... Um, think that they've discovered that there's actual water on the surface of Mars Correct. from the dark streaks from the craters. Yes. Now, uh, the Curiosity rover is actually close enough to go and actually investigate this uh, water. Yeah. Uh, and they were seriously thinking of sort of sending it along and having a sort of quick peek at it, but they've decided that uh, the rover hadn't been sterile, that the level of uh, making it sterile before going into space wasn't yeah. sufficient for it to um, go and investigate this water because they're worried that if it did sort of stand in a, in a puddle of water that something like a tardigrade or or some form of bacteria from Earth could actually just finish the finish it off. Well, no, get you know contaminate contaminate Mars, uh -huh. uh, which is actually against uh, several space treaties right? and against the sort of regulations you're not allowed to um, contaminate uh -huh. space. So yes, it was very interesting. I thought that was really interesting. It's not the sort of fact that you hear very often. I keep meaning to sort of do a little bit more research, yeah. so maybe we'll have a little chat about that. So, so that's very exciting. So, so ExoMars is very exciting. It's one of the sort of European Space Agency's um, more exciting projects, I think, uh, and it's not just a European mission. It's, a, it's in collaboration with Ross with Cosmos, Russia, of course. as you mentioned earlier. We are yes. doing lots with them. So yes, I mean, in actual fact, it's a it's a good example of what Hawking was going on about yeah. cooperation, and that is in very, space. Very exciting. We're great friends on Earth. Not, not so. Not so much. Yeah. Yeah. Chill out, Putin. So yes, we shall all be sitting there with bated breath watching the launch on the hopefully on the 14th of March. So hopefully that will have happened when this goes out and I might uh, leave a little uh, little uh, bit at the end yeah, and uh, to say whether it did or not. Or because there has been quite a few... Um, did it happen? Hmm, did it happen? <laughs> did, did it happen? happen? You can answer Let's, now. I could cut myself in now. We should speak about Tim Peake, definitely. It's got to be Sir Tim Peake soon, when he comes back, I reckon. I would imagine that Sir Tim Peake might be a very uh, likely... Sounds scenario. good, doesn't it? Yes. Sounds good. Because never before has there been such buzz around an astronaut going into space, certainly from, from an English perspective, because mm. of the social media... Um, because of the TV programmes, because of the fact that they've got schools involved. Um, it's really amazing. Yeah. And, of course, he's the first British astronaut. And by that, we mean an astronaut that's actually been funded by the Brits. Yes. Uh, which is, of course, amazing. Considering he, was all, he, he did the first British spacewalk almost 50 years exactly after the first spacewalk which yeah. I thought was incredible that, that it took Britain 50 years to get someone to do a spacewalk despite us having one of the biggest space industries in the world absolutely yeah so it's um, incredible I have to say if you want to go and read about what Tim Peake's up to hmm. the best resource is actually on the British Interplanetary Society website 
and they have pretty much a daily update about what Tim Peake is up to. Uh, Tim Peake, of course, is is a member of the British Institute, uh, British Interplanetary Society, mm. and he often speaks about it. And um, the British Interplanetary Society post a, a daily update of what he's up to. And can you give us that website address, please, Matthew? Is www.bis-space.com. There we go. Yeah, One more time go. for the readers. Uh, www.bis-space.com. That's all you need. So, of course, there was another astronaut who wore a Union flag on his spacesuit. Yes. Richard Garriott. There we go. Name. Richard Garriott is the name of the um, astronaut. He was the son of an astronaut and he was a self-funded space tourist to the International uh, Space Station. Sounds like he should have been a knight of the round table. Mm. And he's the son of Skylab astronaut Owen Garriott. Now he's just showing off. Yeah. And uh, not only that, he claims, well, one of his sort of, I don't know whether it's a sort of joke claim, but because he has such vast amounts of money and obviously very interested in space, mm. he um, bought a ex-Soviet uh, lunar rover. Right. And so therefore he owns property on the moon because it's this lunar rover still on the moon and he bought this particular lunar rover on the collapse of the Soviet... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when the Soviet Union collapsed, he then bought that particular item. And so he owns property on the moon. So he claims that he's the only private owner of property on the moon. Therefore, the moon belongs to him. Wow. So That's quite a claim. Yeah, so it's quite a lot of interesting things about this guy. There's been other British astronauts, Helen Sharman. Mm-hmm. Michael Fole, he, he was born and grew up in Britain, but because he had American parents, he, just, he was an American uh, astronaut. Yeah. Mark Shuttleworth. Well, he's destined to be, wasn't he? Well, yeah, he's, uh, he was born in South Africa. Right. Uh, but has UK citizenship, but is a self-funded space tourist. Mm-hmm. Piers Sellers, born and grew up in Britain, flew on the shuttle. Yeah. Right. Nicholas Patrick, NASA astronaut, born mm-hmm. and grew up in Britain, but a US citizen since 94. Again, did two shuttle flights. Uh, and, of course, the first government-funded Britain to live aboard the International Space Station is Tim Peake. Tim Peake. Would have been in the same year at school as me. Really? Yeah. I can't help feeling he's achieved slightly more. Yeah, but... But, you know, but has, has, has he played in the glories? Has he played in the glories? Has he been in a band called Broadsword? No. Well, he might have been, though. Annoyingly, it's this kind of thing where, yeah, he probably wasn't a real Does he do band. stand-up comedy? No, he doesn't do stand-up comedy. Well, there you comedy, go. Band, apparently. There's two things. So, uh, yes, yeah, so Tim Peake, if you want to read about him, the British Interplanetary website is uh, a good it's the good place, place to go. It's a place, it is actually the place to go. Matt, what news of NASA... So, I, I guess the big news in NASA is that, again, this might be something that uh, will be confirmed after this podcast is mm-hmm. a thing, but on March the 18th, yes. they uh, NASA are going to be launching three, well, not just NASA, but it's actually going to be uh, uh, a Soyuz uh, launch 
from the um, Cosmodrome in Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan. Back and all. Uh, and it will be uh, an American astronaut, uh, Jeff Williams, mm -hmm. and two Russian cosmonauts, Oleg Shkiborchka and Alexei Vujinin. Of course, I've pronounced nice, those very, very well. Said. And uh, yeah, so that hopefully they'll be taking off on March the 18th to and the International Space Station. Their roles? Their roles are to take part in Expedition 47. Yes. Um, a six-month mission for Williams, which will see him be the new record holder for the most amount of days in space. Blimey, so he's taking over our mate. Our mate Valeri. <laughs> yeah, well, Valeri did it in one sitting, whereas yeah. this guy's going to do it over several sittings in space. Yeah. Boring. Uh, which actually brings me on to a sort of a second record that he'll hold, which will be the third time that he's gone to the space station, which is also a record. So he's no oh, one's wow. done more than two space station stays before, whereas this guy, not only has he been to the space station twice before, by the time he finishes this mission, he'll have done 534 days in space. He is going to get laid. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I should imagine. Is it the sort of thing that you go into a bar and say, <laughs> excuse me, I've done 534 days in space. Were well, you just looking for an excuse to do your Roger Moore impression? Yes. Well, has Roger Moore... Yes, he has been in space in Moonraker. Oh, of course he has, yeah. yeah, yeah big time. So, yeah. Taking off this month's launches from the Interplanetary Podcast. Yeah, let's have a look at imminent launches of uh, from Earth into space. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, first up? Yeah, first up. From here is March the 12th. Hopefully there will be the Soyuz, uh, which is a Russian government Soyuz rocket, will launch the Resource P3 Earth Observation Satellite. Glory. Which will collect remote sensing data for Russian government agencies and foreign customers. Uh, March the 14th is what we were talking yep. about earlier, which is, is a proton rocket with ExoMars, uh, a Russian government proton rocket with a Breeze M upper stage will deploy the European Space Agency's ExoMars. You Trace love a Breeze M. Orbiter. Yeah, with a Breeze M is one of we my favourite bits of technology. Yeah. Uh, the mission will make improved measurements of trace gases in the Martian atmosphere. March the 18th will see the launch of something else we were talking about earlier on, the ISS 46S. God bless him will launch the Man-Soyuz spacecraft to the International Space Station with members of the next expedition crew. Uh, the capsule will remain at the station for six months, providing an escape pod for the crew. Sounds very Star Wars. Yeah. Atlas V is launching on March the 22nd or 23rd. Atlas V, OA6. Designated AV064 will launch the sixth orbital sciences Cygnus cargo freighter on its fifth operational cargo delivery flight to the International Space Station. The rocket will fly in the 401 vehicle configuration, and I know that's one of your favourites. <laughs> what a mouthful! <laughs> um, March 31st. A Soyuz rocket will launch the 63rd Progress cargo delivery ship to the International Space Station. Sweet. 
and April 4th will be the heavily delayed Falcon 9 SpaceX CRS-8. About bloody time. We'll launch the 10th Dragon spacecraft on the 8th operational cargo delivery mission to the International Space Station. Nice. Is it because Elon Musk has been sorting out the world's solar problems? Yes, I think that's probably he's... It's totally fine, isn't it? <laughs> Got to let him off that. Got to let him off that one. You yeah. know, it's. Uh, I think that's the way the cookie crumbles. Been building power walls. Give him a break. Next, uh, let's have a quick brief of what uh, launches actually happened so far in the last couple of weeks. We've yeah. uh, in March we've had the SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket launch the SES 9 communication satellite. Nice owned by SEX of Luxembourg. The spacecraft will provide direct-to-home and other communication services over Northeast Asia, South Asia and Indonesia, as well as a maritime communication for vessels in the Indian Ocean. The rocket flew on a full-thrust version of the Falcon 9. Can, you, can I just stop you there? Can you never say thrust like that again? Please? Thrust. Makes me feel really uneasy. No, I like it. <laughs> but, right. Um, I believe they actually attempted a landing on the barge again with that particular Falcon mm. 9. Uh, and it did, it failed. failed. On March the 9th, there was an Ariane 5 designated VA229 to launch the UTELSAT 65 West A communication satellite. Literally, which, none of this is making sense to me. Yeah, well, it will provide... Some gobbledygook. What does it mean, Matt? Well, it means that they've, they've, they've actually sort of launched something probably the size of a family car... Hmm. Uh, that will do something for someone. So, like when your your phone suddenly is able to look at satellite images of clouds, it's because a big old rocket has launched something up there. And I tell you what's actually quite... for the second time this podcast. That is just to clarify. That isn't a euphemism. So when you're looking up, <laughs> yes, clouds. Yeah, when you're looking up clouds. <laughs> 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 cool. Look, look at them clouds. Look at them clouds. Look at them nimbleus cumbus. But from above rather than from below. Mm. Yes. Do you see what I'm saying? But, but I, I'm saying. I tell you what's a good, what's a nice little game to play is to have a look at what these satellites actually look like. Because normally you can find a picture. So if we put in UTELSAT 65, for example, mm. we probably could see the picture of what this thing actually looked like. That's now up in orbit whizzing around and you to, can occasionally and of course and what's another really nice thing is that uh, if you, you you can look at software that can track these things mm. and you can go out on a clear night and have a look up and actually see the little dot as it as it yeah as it goes over you can see that family size car would you Think. say it was like a skoda estate or um, so next time on the interplanetary podcast we'll be talking about the sls and we should also be having a look at a very curious technology called EM Drive. Blimey. Very interesting. I've got questions, but maybe I should wait till next week. Well, maybe if you've got questions or maybe if you've got points of view about those particular subjects, then you should definitely contact the podcast and uh, we'll address them. The more the merrier, the more interaction, the, the better. more the merrier on the good ship interplanetary dot org dot uk